I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, James, it is the end of August. We're doing a podcast on the Leafs in the end of August. But there's actually stuff to talk about. The podcast I should mention before we get started is brought to you by Babsocks. Visit babsocks.ca. They have a big announcement coming soon that we will be talking about. Yeah, it's cool. It's really neat. It's actually, I know some people are like, oh, and Babsocks, well, you know, they've been around for a couple of years and I've already got 10 pairs. I mean, I don't need to hear about it anymore. But this next thing, you're going to going to want to hear about it yeah good really good buying potential for yourself but also like really good gift giving potential which i think is probably all i can say what you want to do is pair it with an athletic gift subscription (laughs) for the ultimate christmas present for the sports fan in your life good pitch we need like we need andrew to put in like a sound effect that's like us selling out here comes the money here we go sound effect of the cha-ching Maybe. You're going to be like the Monopoly man? Pink Floyd. Money! Good album. You know, it's it's a lot different doing this job than working at a newspaper or a big company like TSN or something. Because we're, like, if we don't promote it, like, it doesn't get promoted. So that's why that's why we talk about, like, signing it up to The Athletic and all that stuff. Because if we don't do it, like, we kind of have to be... We're, like, the infrastructure of it all. Yeah, we're the business side and we're, like, writing and so... Uh, we're doing a, an event uh, all across Canada, all seven Canadian NHL cities for The Athletic. It is free if you subscribe to The Athletic, so come on out. If you look at my Twitter, you can see the event dates. The event in Toronto is on September 27th, 
and it's going to be fun. I'd like to meet some of the people that – oh, we're doing another event. But the too. better event no, is better. on September 13th at the Rivoli. Right. At, what time is it at? It's starting, 6 p.m.? No, but that's when the doors open. We'll, oh, okay. we'll go on stage and start at around 7, 7.30. Okay, so the Rivoli – Queen and Bathurst, it is... You can buy tickets on... I didn't write the it's site down. Bathurst. Yeah, it is. It's Queen and Bathurst. It's Spadina. Oh, yeah, it's Spadina and Bathurst. Or Spadina and Queen and Spadina. I don't know why I had it in my mind it was Queen and Bathurst. So Justin Bourne's coming, Mark Masters is coming, and we have a great special guest who is also coming for the pod live, live event podcast show. But the best thing we're going to do probably the whole time is we're going to do trivia with Mark. I think the best thing we're going to do is we're going to recreate the podcast as we do it at your house where we're going to have, well, I'm not going to say. It's going to be, it'll be fun. And hopefully our special guests can come. So there are not a ton of tickets left for the live event for the podcast. So if you want to come, sign up. What's the the site again? I can't remember. Homestand.ca, I think. Okay, let's actually talk about stuff. Uh, So where do you want to start? We promoted all the things we need to promote. Yeah. September's going to be, like, there's lots going on, so. Okay, so where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the front office stuff? No. Well, do you want to start with if Matthews? You, if you do. Yeah, let's start. Okay, let's, the front office thing just happened, so let's do that. Okay, so, like, I'm not, given everything we know about Kyle Dubas, it doesn't seem entirely surprising that he would embrace something that has not been embraced in hockey. Was there any part of you that was surprised by the hires of Haley Wickenheiser, Noel Needham. How do, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, and obviously some change in the front office. Did any of that surprise you? No, not at all. Not at all. The only thing that was surprising is that Haley Wickenheiser was willing to do it because Eric Duhatrick had written the, the big story about how she's going to medical school. And obviously she's a mother and she's got a lot going on. Um, I guess my question is I wonder how involved she's going to be able to be with the Leafs and how often she's going to be around the team. And mm-hmm. I wonder if it's she just wants to keep kind of like a toe in hockey and then, um, you know, maybe at the end of the day. I don't know. I mean, she's Haley Wiganizer is a fascinating person, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if she's the first female, whatever she wants to be, assistant coach, head coach, mm-hmm. assistant GM. Who knows? You know, I think that... And it's, I think it's it's good that smart people in hockey that aren't just former NHL players are getting more of an opportunity. I don't know a lot about Noel Needham. I heard that the Leafs were hiring uh, a female scout a little bit before the announcement came out, a few days before. And um, just looking at the response from people in the USHL and, and people that know her... They say that she's fantastic, so I think it's I think it's a good idea. And mm-hmm. so I liked one of the comments on one of our stories on this uh, yesterday. It said um, something like, "Kyle Dubas has found another inefficiency, and that's that's not not hiring from fifty percent of the potential workforce." And I think that that's one hundred percent right. That's the crazy thing. Like it's it's amazing that for so long that hockey has like cut out half the population of potential people to hire. Like you just want smart people. And you want people with different backgrounds and different experiences. Like, she's con- Haley Wickenheiser is considered by most, I guess, the greatest female hockey player ever. So someone with, like, that wealth of information and experience, and she's been to, like, Olympics, and she's won everything. Like, it just seems obvious. Like, why wouldn't you want to add someone like that to your organization if they can help? So, but, like, it is. It's kind of what we expected of Kyle Dubas. I think what's interesting, too... Uh, related to this is that the front office in a very short time has been remade. It's totally different. 
And I'm spoiling like an idea I had for a story. I think you were going to write this story, so maybe you should write it. Maybe I shouldn't talk about it. Do you want to talk about Whatever, it? Whatever. But like the front don't, office, don't give away all the goodies. The front office is totally different, and it's obviously not just at the top with Kyle Dubas, but like he has changed it in his image in a pretty short time. Yeah, I, I bet you Kyle Dubas has not had a lot of downtime this summer. He's been very, and I know things were really crazy um, as soon as he was named to the role. You know, it was like let's get ready for the draft, let's do this, let's do that. I mean, he's basically worked the entire way through. Um, you're you're right. I mean, but that that that's what happens I mean, when you have a regime change and a new general manager. Generally speaking, front offices change quite a bit in the image of that general manager. People bring in their own people. Um, in Toronto, there's like so much focus on like every single move. Um, but I think this is relatively common. The other thing that's different in Toronto is that the front office staff is way bigger than other organizations. Like if you look at Nashville or Ottawa or whatever. If a, they had a new GM come in, there aren't that many positions to change. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Toronto, it's such a huge staff that, that there's really a lot of moving parts. But he keeps expanding the front office. Yeah. Like he's adding his own names. And like even in Toronto, like it, it is common to make remake the front office in your image. But like when Lula Morello came in, basically things generally kind of stayed the same. Like he hired Jacques Lemaire. But l- I wonder... Jacques Caron? Jacques Caron eventually came in. Special assignment coach. There were a few other Jacques, I think, that were (laughs) kicking around. But, like, it was different, I guess, because he was kind of, like, a caretaker in that position, whereas the front office below him had kind of been established. Like, they had hired Dubas. They had hired Pridham. Now it's, like, you're planning for the next 10 years, whatever, 5, 10 years. Like, he's putting all the people he wants in place, including, like, a lot of people that he's worked with before, which is good. Like, you want people who you know and who you trust. But I think the interesting thing with him, and like this is common with leaders, I think, of his mindset, his skill set, is to bring in people who don't think like you. And like that was the thing, like Justin Bourne wrote about it for The Athletic. Like He wants people who have different backgrounds and different experiences who aren't just going to see things the same way. Because like if you look at leaf front offices of the past, it was like you just had a bunch of people who seemed to think the same. And like that doesn't really get you anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, covering those years was was there was a lot of groupthink that was going on and I remember hammering them for it in, in, when I was writing for the paper um, the, one of the things I really liked in, in Justin's story about this was talking about the relationship with Masai Ujiri and that part of what pushed uh, Kyle Dubas in this direction was talking to Ujiri and one of the things Ujiri said was hire women and um, the thing I should point out is the Leafs are not the first team to do this um, the New Jersey Devils, I know, have started to make a push under Ray Shiro uh, mm-hmm. to hire women. We lost Rachel Dory, who was a freelancer for us last year in the middle of the season, uh, because the New Jersey Devils, my understanding is that Ray Shiro read her work on The Athletic and then reached out and wanted to hire her. Mm-hmm. And I think they hired her in January or something like that. So she wrote whatever she wrote, eight or ten things, and they were great. Uh, and then uh, the the Devils hired her, and, and I, I I don't have the name in front of me. I think it was in one of the one of our stories, but they hired another woman as well. Minnesota Wild have one of their uh, analytics people is is a woman. Um, if you look historically, so I've, I heard that they were hiring a female scout last week, and I started looking at it historically. Has this has there ever been a female scout? I I can only find one. It was with the San Jose Sharks in the early '90s, and it was a part time person that lasted a season at most. Um, there's been a female assistant GM, uh, Angela Gor- Gorgon, I think is her name, um, and she was with the Nashville Predators. But other than that, like, it's been there really haven't been a lot of 
hockey operations people that have been women. And mm. 2018, it's kind of ridiculous that it took this long. Agreed. Um, anything else on this you want to talk about? Any part of this that otherwise it interests you? I do think... The only thing I was going to say is that Kyle did keep some of the people that were there before. Like, Dave Morrison kind of got promoted, right? So, and he's been been part of a a few regimes. So, it's not like he just came in and and clear-cut out the old people. He's kind of picking the ones that he feels fit with the vision. He's put people in different positions, whether it's promoting them. Like, he promoted uh, John John Lilly, Stefan Robidaux was promoted, Scott Pellerin was promoted... Like, he's kind of changed the framework a little bit. And, like, as time goes on, like, you be, you find who you're comfortable with. You find who makes the organization better. And Brandon Pridham was promoted. There yeah. were There's a bunch of people in the front office that were, yeah. By the way, we, we didn't talk about this, actually. I think literally two minutes after we finished recording the last podcast, we heard the news about Mark Hunter going back to the London Knights. I wasn't surprised by that, obviously. Like, there weren't a bunch of general manager positions open so there wasn't but there's a weird idea out there that like super scout i don't know if that's yeah there's there's i think the image has been built up maybe maybe beyond what it should be given what we know about him in the nhl at this point is that fair do you know what i mean here's an aside to that that's kind of related how many like people that really made their niche as like a really good scout made really good GMs because there's been some you know Jim Benning is an example um, uh, Tim Murray in, in Buffalo there have been a couple examples where they've made kind of the head scout kind of person Don Sweeney I think was a scout right they made the head scout kind of person into the GM and I don't think it's really worked out well I was talking I think I was talking to Chris about this Chris Johnson and he no, maybe it wasn't Chris. No, it wasn't Chris. It was uh, Steve Dryden from TSN. And he pointed out, like, by taking someone out of that position, you're basically taking the thing that they're best at and kind of taking it away a little bit. Because when you're the general manager, you're exactly that. Like, you're responsible for everything. So it's almost like taking their best skill and making it less valuable. So it's almost like someone like Mark Hunter, if he's this great scout, should just be a, a really good scout. You know what I mean? No, 100%. Yeah. We actually talk about it at The Athletic all the time because we're hiring really good writers and we're putting them in management roles. And then are they spending too much time being managers when their best skill is is writing? So it's something that I try and guard against and it's something that is happening in a bunch of our markets. Like Craig Custance. Craig Custance is an unbelievable NHL writer. He's one of my favorite writers. And I'm not just saying that because he works for us. He's always been one of my favorite writers, yeah. even when he was in Atlanta. They made him the editor of the Detroit site. Which is great, and he's done a really good job there. But you want Craig writing. You don't want him just being a manager. So it's something that in every industry, I think, that people have to deal with when you promote good people that were did excelled in, in another role. Well, it's almost like when you had in the NHL and actually in other sports, you had, like, coach GM. It's almost like you assume... Too much. Too much. But, like, you're... Pat Quinn. Yeah. Really good coach. But, like, making him the GM, it's like a whole other job. And you're almost taking away some of what makes him really good. They're... We basically don't have any coach GMs in hockey anymore because it's that's crazy. impossible. That would be impossible. And the other thing that we're seeing too is that there are a lot more assistant GMs than there used to be. Like most teams want to have at least two now, and their roles are, are more specialized. One will oversee the pro scouting department. One will oversee amateur scouting. Those those kind mm-hmm. of things. Um, 
I heard one thing. This is I can throw out there. I heard that uh, originally Kyle Dubas wasn't. I don't. I think he wasn't one hundred percent sold that he needed to add another senior person in the front office. Um, that he could still help, uh, run the analytics department and he could still do some of the things he was doing last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but once he got into it in the first whatever the initial days, he realized he needed to hire someone else, and that's when they went and got Lawrence Gilman. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's. It's a lot. It's a lot to be an NHL GM. There's a lot that goes into it, and that's why you need really good lieutenants. And you need, yeah, yeah, that's true. And one of the things, actually, in writing the story about Dubas this summer, I heard from people there in the Sioux, he's good about letting people do their jobs. And to say this kindly, that was not always the reputation of his predecessor, Lou Lamarillo, who liked to like have his hands on everything. So. Yeah, like every email and call that went into the head office, into hockey operations, Lou had to see who it was, I heard. There was like a log of every call and every meeting and everything. David Conti like told me, I think it, it was on the record, that anybody he talked to... Well, it better be. <laughs> it is on the record now. Like anybody he talked to, agent, player, management person, he had to tell Lou who he talked to and what they talked about. Which just seems crazy. And I heard when the Leafs were on the road and Lou wasn't there that everything had to be faxed to him. Like all the information of everything that happened when he wasn't there. Yeah. So good luck in the island. <laughs> They're going to be good. Yes. They're going to be real good. All right. Uh, Sorry, Islanders fans. So do you want to talk about Matthews? Anything from the interview? Well, let me ask you some questions. Let you, so you went and you talked to Matthews one-on-one. Um Thanks to him for giving us the interview. That's great. It's middle of August. He didn't have to do that. Um, what, what's your experience been covering Matthews as a beat reporter? I mean, you've been around the Leafs for 10, 12 years or whatever it is. So where, where does he fit into the kind of the star players the Leafs have had? And what does he like to interview and deal with? Well, so the, the interesting thing with him is because he's a star of such like a high degree. It was the same thing for Matt Sundin. Every time he speaks, it it's matters. a it's yeah. it matters for for sure. But it's a massive scrum. Rarely, rarely, rarely is he talking, and it's not through his fault. But if if people see him talking, a crowd comes over. Yeah. So the opportunities to talk to him by himself are really, 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 really rare. So we haven't gotten to know him super well. Yes. So like late last year. Um, like the amount of times I've talked to him one on one where there's not people around is very, very, very rare. I've done it a few times because I had to for a story. Yeah, I've, and it's either on the road you wait and but it's like you're 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 not getting a lot of quality time. Yeah, because it it just it's the same thing with Crosby. Like if you if you go down to Pittsburgh and you want to talk to Crosby one on one, good luck. Like when I was with Canadian Press, I I set it up to go down to Pittsburgh get 10 minutes with Crosby and it was like after he did the this massive scrum he took 10 minutes and talked to me and it's the same thing with Matthews like stars like that you just don't get a chance so like we felt fortunate that we would get a bunch of time and try to get to know him a little bit more Um, but the hard thing is like you a there's there's two hard things and you understand this being in the job a there's there's only so much time b so you have all these questions you want to ask but then b Stuff comes up that like you you want to ask more questions about you right. know what I mean so right. like there's there was so much I, I'm looking at my questions now there were so many questions I had that I didn't get to 
and there were some questions I asked that I didn't ask in the way I wanted and like but it was interesting kind of getting to know him a little bit better than I do. I saw some, they're probably like Habs fans or Sens fans or whatever, and they were they were joking that you were asking about his favorite color or something like that. Like these troll people. It's funny, the more, the more subscribers we get, the worse that our comments get, and we get more of these trolls showing up on stuff. But, I mean, what you were trying to do is get into more of who is Austin Matthews than... This is what we talked about before you did the interview, about what kind of questions you were going to ask. We wanted to just know a little bit more about him as a person because... 99.9% of the time what gets talked about with with Matthews is him what he does on the ice. Yeah. Well, and like I would like I would have liked to have spent more time figuring out some of the things he likes, like more about the music he likes and books he read, favorite if he's color. read any favorite color. But like people blue. I think people are interested in in who these guys are, not just like what they have to say about hockey. Some of the most interesting stuff that we talked about was just like some of the stories he told, like the first time he was recognized in Toronto. Like I can just imagine that situation. He's walking home um, with his parents from dinner and like some middle-aged mom just comes up and wants to take a picture. And it's like, you're not in Scottsdale anymore. A mom with a baby is not middle-aged. Only okay. someone who's 20 years old would think that. I'm just, okay. I'm just interested. You're just taking someone it personally. Was, no, no, no. Someone made that comment on Twitter or something, and they, they were like, oh, my God, this guy is young. Middle age is like 450. He is young. He's 20. Yeah, yeah. Like he's going to be 21. Oh, she looks that's at, the other he looks thing. at me like some old goat, I think. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. Like he, and not goat in the good sense. But it's a, it's a good reminder Like when you think of all the expectations and all the pressure on him that these guys are really friggin' young. Yes. And we're... As a whole, we are asking a lot of them, and we're asking them to always be adults. Like I was just thinking back to like the playoffs when there was that day he didn't talk, and then I just like figured like he's he's fucking twenty. There are some days when you're twenty and like you're just feeling pissed off and you just don't want to do something. And, well, so two uh, things on that: like he didn't play major junior, he didn't have this huge spotlight on him for most of his life. He was. I wouldn't say a late bloomer, but his star rose later than it does for a lot of these guys. Mm -hmm. He didn't grow up in the spotlight the same way that Crosby and McDavid did. He didn't get accustomed to the huge media scrums the way that they did. He didn't get put in that situation on a day-to-day-to-day-to-day basis until basically he already was a Maple Leaf and in the NHL. Mm -hmm. So I think it's been an adjustment. And I also think he's a quiet guy. I don't think he's a quiet guy in the way that Phil Kessel was, but I think that you know, one of the things that Don Granato, his coach in with the U.S. Junior team, said to me frequently is that he's a leader, but he's a leader in a very quiet way. He's like kind of he's he's like he's very competitive. He's got an internal fire, but in terms of his actual words and his interaction when the cameras are going, there's you don't get the full breadth of his personality in that situation. Do you think some of that is being? Young, like we've seen, like with some of these yeah. guys, like Taves, like as they get older, they become like more yeah. authoritative. They've experienced a drawback on. He doesn't have like a ton of that stuff. I so some people say, some fans say, um, he doesn't have anything to say. How can he be the captain? Has been one of the things because they they watch like what he says after the game or on Sports Center, and I think that that's total crap. Like I don't. Well, the most interesting thing with him is like he is not. Typically, young guys are very afraid to say anything. And the interesting thing generally with him is he is pretty blunt sometimes about himself or how the team is playing. He's very honest. He doesn't have a lot of time for... um, He doesn't have a lot of time for, like, silly questions or... You know, he's he's very, I think, true to himself in a lot of ways, if if that's the right way. He's very confident. Mm -hmm. So... 
Well, so this gets into, so you put out on Twitter asking for questions. And one of the things that someone asked was uh, about the captaincy thing and whether it matters and like what we think is going to happen. So Matthews, if you haven't read the interview, just go to The Athletic and read it. But he talked, I asked him about the captaincy and he intimated that he's ready for it. But, you know, if if it wasn't going to be him, he'd be fine with that. And, you know, things wouldn't really change. Um, Let me ask you first where you kind of stand on what you think they should do with that whole thing. And then we can get into the captaincy itself and everything like that. Here's what I think they're going to do, and here's what I th- I think they should I think they're the same thing. I think what they're going to do and what I believe they should do is no captain this year and that Matthews will get it the following year. That's what I think is going to happen. So what's the point of that? Just giving him another year to get more comfortable. Uh, let the relationship with Tavares and Matthews settle in. Um, let him let Matthews potentially have a full season where he's healthy. Um, give him another postseason, which is presumably probably he's going to make more of an impact next year. Yeah. So it's not this situation where um, he's very young. He's only had two seasons. He was hurt most of last year. Uh, they had the the disappointing that that top line had a disappointing postseason. Um, and you have a big star like Tavares coming in. I think you just let it settle a little bit. It, it takes a little bit more pressure off of him, I think. But so you're not of the opinion that they will or should make Tavares the captain? I don't think they're going to. I don't think they're going to. Here's why I, I don't think they should. And here's why I think it's a, it's the right idea to make Matthews the captain at some point. Tavares is going to do everything like you want to captain to do anyway in terms of leadership like obviously the stuff with you know talking to the coach and being that go-between guy if you're not the captain maybe it's a little bit different but probably not totally different for someone like him I think if you give it to Matthews I think what the way I've thought about this is like you instill in him a responsibility and a weight you give it to him and you basically say this is like we want you to take ownership for the way you play, for the way you take care of yourself, for the way you work out, for everything. We want you to be the guy and we're making it official. And I think that's important for someone who's that young and who's that good. I just think like if, if you went the other way and made Tavares captain, I, I, I think you're taking away a potential advantage, if that makes sense. Do you think that they should make Matthews captain right now? If they're doing it this year, they might as well just do it right away here. Like, they might as well. I probably would just do it. Like, I don't... It, I, and this, we can get into this now. I don't think it hurts them not having a captain. That's the other thing. I Whereas think the captain, there's a very small chance that maybe it hurts you a little bit if you do do it too soon. Maybe. Maybe. But I, I, I think we over... In the media, we make a bigger... And listen, I made it a big part of my interview. that's part of it, though. The media is going to make a big deal if they, if they do it right now. It's going to be a big deal. So, like, yeah... Yeah, we it gets made a bigger deal than it is, but that's going to be even more of this like attention and all these things on him this year. Yeah. Whereas I think, like I said, I think what I think the right plan is just let it settle, let let them work Tavares into this room, let this team become more of of Matthews' team with the young guys. But and, I could also say by by waiting, you just kind of keep the storyline alive, and like I don't know that you care about that, but it like constantly becomes a thing. Well, who's going to be the captain? And like, who's it? yeah? But who's going to keep asking that if they announce in like first day of training camp? Like, we could go into first day of training camp, the physicals, talk to Mike Babcock, and say, "What are you going to do with the captaincy?" And he's like, "There's going to be no captain this year. Mm-hmm. We're going to have four assistants." And, and then, it, how is that going to keep the storyline going? The storyline's dead. It's over. Well, I guess there'd be times throughout the year where where people would look and say, "Like, is should so and so be the captain? Should Tavares be?" The, I don't know. 
you're right. Maybe maybe it's not that big a deal. The other thing is like it is not as big a deal as we think. Like I people, almost think we should just stop. Like, well, you I could get rid of the captain. This should be a like very, in hockey. Like, it's no, just, I think it's fine to have it. But I th- well, what, what I was going to say is that this segment where we're talking about it, like, if it's not a big deal, then there's not much not much more to say about it. What is, is the? But what, okay, so it's like a tradition thing beyond tradition. What what's why is it such a big thing? Like other sports it's, don't it's, have captains. It's designating I, who your leader is. I guess in the NFL. It's do. like naming your leader as opposed to just inferring who the leaders are. Like last year they did it a lot. Like, oh, Bozak was a leader and Riley was a leader and la, 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 la. It's like saying this This is like... Why do you need to do that? You don't need to do it. That's what I'm saying. You don't need to... Like they, they could they could go into this year... Vegas didn't have a captain last year, right? You could go... You could no, have, I think Derek, was Derek Englund their captain? Oh, maybe he wasn't. Maybe I don't he think just they got the cup first. Okay. I mean, like, not you, the cup. The you can Western win the Stanley Cup without a captain. Like, you you don't absolutely need it. But I think the things you were talking about in terms of, like, this is your team. We are building this around you. You're going to be the face of this team for, I mean, they hope Matthews will be the face of the team for another 18 years. I mean, and, and that he'll play his whole career there and that right. they'll be putting the statue together in, in 20 years when you and I are old and gray and... <laughs> No one's listening to the podcast anymore. Yeah. But it does, like, I guess the idea is it's not as, imp- like, you're not suffering because you don't have a captain. Like, they didn't have a captain last year, the year before. People, your leaders just lead. Like, they just do things the right way and, like, you set an example. But I guess in Toronto, the one thing that's different is there's so much tradition with the captaincy. And it's, like, such a pre- prestigious thing. Like, there is importance symbolically, but maybe realistically it's not as important. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think we've settled that. But I guess it also wouldn't shock me. It would be weird. Like, I think Dubas said at the press conference, like, we're going to wait as time goes on and, like, see if see what happens. It would be weird. I can't see them waiting a month and then being like, hey, Matthews, you're the captain now. If you're not doing it at the start, I think you just push it. And I don't think it. it's going to happen. Don't you think? Like I'm, I'm like ninety eight percent sure there's no captain this year. Well, I guess when would you do it? Right at the beginning of the season, maybe when Matthew signs an extension. Yeah, you could, you could combine those two things. I wonder if I don't know. I don't know what's happening with the extension. I'm not sure. There doesn't seem like there've been tons of negotiations on it, as far as I can tell. Hmm. It's not the. It, I don't think it's the best thing for the Leafs to push it. I think it would be smart for Matthews to push it. To get it done? No, to not do it. No, yeah, well, if I'm Matthews, I probably wouldn't do it because let's say the NHL has a huge year, revenues go up, cap goes up $6 million, a couple more young guys. Like, let's say Line A signs his deal and he gets some huge number mm-hmm. and Matthews has a good case that he's worth more than Line A. And, well, and Matthews could score 50 goals in the yes. Hart Trophy. Like yes. But there's all there's all those other external factors too that impact what a superstar should be making. So mm-hmm. it feels like the longer we go along, the more of these young stars are getting more and more and more money, which is the way it should be. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not, but I'm just saying that the longer you wait, the more danger that Matthews and Marner are going to get an even higher number. Right, which is like the tug the other way for Dubis to like get it done sooner. I would get it done. I mean, I think eight by eleven makes a lot of sense. I think that's simple. I, I wonder why. Eh, we'll see. Uh, what other questions do we have from Bob Makowitz, friend of the pod, podcast? 
Mako. Mako had I a question. Mako. Me too. We used to go on his show, and it, a lot of people probably don't know Bob Mako. It's to me, he was one of the smartest people. I think a lot of people do. Well, he's not like a huge name. Their podcast is really popular, Mako and Cause, and from the old show Mako and Cause. I'm not saying that nobody knows who he is. I'm saying not enough people know who he is. What I was going to say is, I think he was one of the smartest people on sports radio when he was on regularly, and I think he. Well, I think he, I don't know, hopefully he one day he's back. Bob's really smart because Bob isn't hot takey. Bob, like, thinks things through and, like, he wants to have, he knows there's nuance to everything. Whereas, like, a lot of media coverage is, like, black and white and that's the way it is. He also fits in with what we're talking about with Kyle Dubas in that he's, like, not really a hockey or a sports like, he's got a lot of interests and he's thinks differently than a lot of people in hockey do. So it's not just, like, going on the radio and just saying the same thing that everybody else is saying. It's like, you know, and as a guest on the show with Bob, he would always come at you with... You had to be on your toes because the questions would be often very unique, which is good. So Bob's question was <laughs> essentially... Um, every, we've, there's been a lot of talk about the Leafs' strengths coming into this year... What are their weaknesses? And obviously, right defense is one that comes up a lot. He needs to read State of the Franchise. (laughs) Which was a piece at The Athletic that you can go read that James wrote. Um, But if I was going to pick one outside of right defense, which is the most obvious one, the most apparent one, I could see goaltending potentially being a weakness. Now, like, Anderson through two years has been fine. He's been really good in stretches. He's been not so good in stretches. Um, they have potentially more depth. You know, we assume Garrett Sparks will be the backup. Garrett Sparks is really good in the AHL. We don't know how good he's going to be in the NHL. I could just see a situation where he doesn't play as well, Anderson, and maybe Sparks isn't as great, obviously, as he was in the AHL and the NHL. Agree or disagree? Sorry, you're going to have to run that by me one more time. Do you think the goaltending could potentially be a weakness? I mean, if Anderson has a... You look at his history, he hasn't really had a poor season, a poor regular season. No, he's been pretty good every year. Yeah, he's been like at least an average number one or better in every year. So if we're trying to predict that he's going to have a really bad year, that would be unusual for him. So I think I find goalies really difficult to predict. So I don't like saying he's going to have a bad year or he's going to have a really good year because we have no idea. We're we're guessing. But I guess that's the point. Goalie performance generally fluctuates a lot now the one thing to your point his performance hasn't fluctuated a ton like i think he's been between like 9 14 and in 9 season 18 it has but you know yeah no over a season it, it it hasn't in season it has and that's been i think one weakness of his that hasn't gotten as has, much play yeah. he has stretches where he's really not very good and it's weird like you you and i both know about this people we we get the sense that people don't like reading about goalie struggling or don't like when you say that the goalie's struggling, but like the way it boils down is like his job is to stop the puck. There are going to be really good chances against, which is why you, you want to have a good goalie to stop the really good chances. Writing about goalies, going back to the goaltending was the number one problem with the Leafs when I started covering the team. It was the Toscala, Raycroft, uh, Gustafson. Gustafson. Like I wrote so many Gustafson stories, even Cujo's second act. Um, and people really don't like, even when it's obvious that those goalies are let's be kind and say those goalies were struggling um people really don't there's not everybody i mean some fans i think get it but a lot of fans just 
protect the goalie no matter what. And they're like, oh, the defense isn't good enough, and et cetera, et cetera. And there's, a lot think- of, there's a lot of people that don't like criticism of the goalie. And every time that we write something about Anderson that's not glowing, there's always a faction that will defend him. I think that has to change. I don't think that's right. Like, I think there's too much protection of the goalie sometimes. Like, if a goalie doesn't play well, like, his... I remember, I think it was in... God, I don't know where it was. I think it was Bill Peters in Carolina or something. Or maybe it was in Dallas. I don't remember where it was. Basically, the coach came out and said, you know, we're giving up way too many chances and the goal, like... Actually, I shouldn't try to remember this because I'm not remembering it right. But basically, the idea was that we're giving up too many chances and the goalie's not to blame. But the goalie is there to stop the good chances. The goalie's not just there to stop the little squibblers that are not chances. That's why you have a goalie and that's why you want to get a good goalie. I just think we've shown, we've seen with Anderson, like even in the playoffs, I don't know why it was a big, wasn't a bigger story that he didn't play well for mo- like he played well in stretches. But generally, that series, like if you're ranking the reasons they lost, it's like him, Kadri, and that top line. Some some combination of that. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, and I think Anderson, both of his postseasons have been lackluster. So He was the second best goalie probably in both. Right? right. Yeah. So, I mean, he... It's just like I said, I have like... The thing I like about the goaltending situation is that I think they have more depth. I think Sparks is more ready to step in and potentially take starts. I think Pickard could potentially take starts. Mm-hmm. It's... Um, the first year with Anderson, they had Jonas Anaroth, who had a really, really tough first month, and then was basically was pushed out of the was league. Exiled. Was pushed out of the league um, for not being six three every night. But it, it, they have options if if a goalie gets hurt or if a goalie gets struggle or struggles that they haven't really had in other years. And I know last year they had the same goalies, mm-hmm. but I think that Pickard and um, McInerney has played well the last couple of years, and Sparks has played well in the minors. All basically, all of the goalies have been pretty decent, and you can make the argument that they deserve NHL games. They are going to have like we think we know what they're going to do with the backup position, but they are going to have an uncomfortable situation with that because Curtis McElhinney, to his credit, I wasn't a believer, but he has played fine in limited starts the last two Good years. Good guy, popular. Yep, but. That doesn't take away from the fact that of the guys you have, he's the guy you are most comfortable losing. Right? I had someone someone tracked me down on my Facebook and sent me like a private message yelling at me for saying that they were going to wave McElhinney and, and play Sparks. But that, there's some surprise like when you talk to just fans or friends or whoever, people are surprised when like that's the idea that McElhinney is going to go. But, but it, like if you put it in front of them right now, you got four goalies. They all need waivers. Yeah. Obviously, Anderson's not going on waivers. You got to put two of the other guys on waivers. Who are you going to waive right now if you have to do it today? It's, it's a Pickard. complete no-brainer. Like it's there's no. You don't risk the guy who was the AHL goalie of the year for a 35 year old. The only thing I will say to that is that up. I know they've looked at trading Pickard. It would not 100 percent shock me if they traded Sparks. I don't think that that's off the table. What would be the idea with that? Just sell him while he's high and potentially has more value? The idea would be you got to move somebody. Sparks would certainly have more value than Pickard. Mm-hmm. And I playing. think that they should go in with Sparks as the backup. I think, and I know, and, and Dubas likes him. And I will be fascinated, though, to see how Babcock would handle that. And I say that only because one thing I've noticed with, with Babcock is personalities like Sparks who is a personality 
they don't always rub him the right way from what I've seen. And I could see that being does that is that yeah. do you think that's fair? Like he I don't know if this is the case. I wonder if uh, I don't even want to say it. I was gonna say like I wonder if they look at that and aren't sure if Babcock and Sparks are gonna work together and that might be potentially part of the reason you'd make a change. That's that would come to mind for me too. Like we're not saying that they're gonna trade Sparks. I'm just saying it would not 100% completely shock me. The bro- I think he's going to be the backup, and I think he's going to play more than the backups have the last two years. I'm I'm pretty certain that's what's going to happen. But The problem is there's just like no value for goalies, especially goalies in that category. Right. Well, goalies don't get What if a starter shit. gets hurt? And I don't know. Teams don't trade anything for goalies. Right. With a market for backup goalies or like guys that you're not sure if they're NHL it's like guys. Fifth round pick yeah, or it's very, very little. It's useless. All right, what else do we got here? Josh Levo. Josh Levo. So there was a question. There are actually a few questions about whether he was going to get a chance. <laughs> I, if someone gets hurt, he, he's in the lineup. Like, they don't have a whole bunch of forward depth. Who are they going to play? If Let's let's say a forward gets hurt. That's what that's what the, the, the common wisdom has been the last two years, know, and he no does had, not play. And no one had gotten hurt. Well, okay, but so who do you put ahead of him? Like Trevor Moore or something? Josh like, Juris. Maybe he, they'd call up Kronstrom. I... I think we have learned pretty definitively over two the last two years, two years, three years, that Mike Babcock just isn't a fan. Right. So here, I, I know what's what's happen, What I am all I'm pretty sure is happening with this situation is that Levo is not going to sit in the press box all year. That is not going to happen. And that's good because it is the general manager's job to it. This was a general manager failing to me the last three years with him. They shouldn't like it was clear Babcock the coach did not want to play this guy. It was Lou Lamarello's job then to, if if you want to be kind, trade him. We Wave talked him. about this last week, didn't we? Tra- we? Yeah. I don't know. And, we, and we said, why not just, just play him in the minors? And he can be, if someone gets hurt, you can bring him up and he can play again. And Wave him. Wave yeah. him. And if someone takes him, they take him. If someone wants to trade for him, they trade for him. The problem for him is, like, it's been two years where he's barely played anywhere. I think that that's over. There's no way that's happening this year. I just can't see Dubas, Dubas going along with He's that. not going to do that. There's no way. Uh, okay, backup goal you've talked about, right defense we've talked about. You know what I wanted to bring up with right defense? Um, we talked about like potentially in the middle of the season that they could go out and trade for someone. Mm-hmm. I looked ahead at like the UFA, potential UFAs for next summer. Ryan Ellis just signed, so there's not a lot. So the Daddy guys I signed. pulled up were Carlson, Tyler Myers, Anton Strawman, Adam McQuaid, and Alex Petrovic. Petrovic? Petrovic. Whatever. You're not getting Strawman from Tampa Bay. You're not right, getting so Carlson. Scratch him you're off. not getting Carlson from Ottawa. You're probably unless, not getting Myers. Unless you do a Well, I mean, I think that there are probably there are probably some situations you could get Myers if Winnipeg decides to make a move. And, well, Truba is RFA next summer too. Okay. And and it seems pretty and he went through arbitration, right? And like the Truba Jets relationship has been bad. I think he should be near the top of the target list for the Leafs. The only thing is that he's gonna be hard to acquire. You're gonna have to give up a lot. Well and the question is what do you give them that they don't that they need like they're very deep in forwards they're, yeah. I don't know they have a good goalie I mean I don't know what Winnipeg needs I guess you just have to give picks and right. more prospects I don't know but yeah defensive depth maybe just who I guess Dermot I don't, know, I don't know but would you trade but do you want to trade in a hypothetical really trade Dermot in a for, hypo- for Myers I mean, in a hypothetical world would you trade Lilligren for for Truba who's going to be RFA sorry I, I, said, I said Myers I meant Truba um, I would, I think. Yeah, I think so. Given their window and given where he is. The only thing is that Truba's going to be expensive. 
and like, very can you expensive. Fit, can you fit that in? No, that's that's what the Leafs have to contemplate. Well, Ryan Ellis got like six, six-ish, something like that, or was it higher? We can look it up, but he got a lot basically, and Truba's going to get more. Six two five. I think it was just over six. So Truba's going to get in that ballpark, probably closer to seven, maybe more. Yeah, I think so. But and there's a, talk about does Truba want to? I think there's talk about does Truba want to play in Canada and because he's American, right? And America is so great right now. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not touching any of that. Okay. Uh, what else? There's one more thing we were going to talk about. Uh, play, aren't the midterm elections coming up? They are. They're very important midterm elections. When are, when is it? I think it's November. So you follow this stuff. I follow it, but you follow it. I more. do a really shitty job of following our country. Maybe because it's not as interesting. Although it is getting interesting in a bad way. Yeah, anyway, I don't, we should. We don't. I don't really want it to get interesting. All right, stay boring, Canada. So there was a question actually tying back to Haley Wickenheiser and Stefan Robida about player development. Like, what do player development guys and girls, good girls, what do they do? If you had to kind of summarize it, what would you say? What do player development people do? Staffers, yeah. They look for weaknesses in the prospects and Marlies and NHL players to an extent. They look for weaknesses in their games. They identify them. Um, they can be really small things. I know with Travis Dermott, um, talked to him about, about this a bit, they were working on his speed. And one of the areas they identified with his speed was his, his pivot and turn as the puck goes behind him into the corner and how fast he could get there and get the puck and make a play with it, which is very important to a defenseman. Okay. And as, an, as someone who plays beer league hockey, um, one of the reasons I can't play defense very well is because that's very difficult to do. I'm, not, I'm a big guy. I'm not very agile. So to have to race to the puck and get it and make a play when someone's coming down on you is a very, very difficult play as a defenseman. So that's something they worked on with Dermot. That's the kind of... They well, look, I can give another example. They look at video. They look at, you know. I can give another example just from the Matthews interview of one thing that he pointed out. Um, Daryl Belfry's been working with him on, you know, kind of explosiveness, like making his that, that step away from the opposition He was working faster. on that last summer, too. Yeah. Actually, that was one of the things I, I screwed up in the interview. I want to know why he wants to get more assists than goals. Maybe it's to prove that he can be that guy who can... Well, set up his teammates as well as score a lot. I don't think it's any different than remember early in Crosby's career when he would have like 34 goals and like 80 assists or whatever, and then he really made that focus to get more goals, and he really yeah. and, he, and then all of a sudden he had that 50 goal season because yeah. he, he changed the way that he was playing. The more dynamic and multifaceted you can be as a scorer, the harder you're going to be to shut down. Yeah. If if the other team if the other team goes in, they're like, oh, Crosby always passes. He's you know he's got. An opposing coach could just look at the score sheet and be like, oh, he's got 36 goals and 89 assists. Let's play the pass on Crosby. But if you do both, so I think right now Matthews is one of the most frequent shooters in the league and one of the most frequent scorers. And at even strength, he's completely 100% deadly. If I'm the opposing team, I'm like, we are neutralizing this shot. I think that that's what Boston, one of the things they did pretty well in that playoff series, he did have scoring chances and he did have shots, but probably not from the quality of looks that he was used to getting. So he needs to be able to impact those really tight games in more than just, I mean, obviously he does impact the game in multiple ways, but if he can get even better at that, it gets much harder to defend against him. The the counter to that though, and I can have, I can use an example. That was such a good rant. It was a really good rant, but I think you can get in your head a little bit with this stuff. And the example is Mitch Marner, who went into last year saying, I need to shoot more because teams, like you said, they they think I'm going to pass all the time. So if I can be a little bit more, not one-dimensional, if I can have more threats to my game, if they think I might have to shoot, 
and you saw in the first half of the year he he was in his head and it didn't work and then like the second half he figured it out but it I, I think overall it's probably a good thing if he becomes Matthews not just a threat to shoot all the time and obviously having Patrick Marlowe there is an upgrade from Hyman in terms of having a guy who can shoot and score a little bit more. Yeah, the line changes that Babcock's looking at are interesting in multiple ways. I think Hyman is going to score a lot because Tavares works really well with a guy that's around the net a lot. It cleaning up, you, I, we've talked about this before, but Anders Lee really benefited from cleaning up the garbage around the net that, that mm-hmm. Tavares creates. Tavares is so good from top of the circles in in the offensive zone at getting around defenders and making plays. Um, that if you have someone that's just there at the net. So, like, you don't need really a Marlowe-caliber shooter, I guess, to play with Tavares. But if you have that option with Matthews... And the way that Nylander passes the puck, too, is a huge impact, too. Yeah. So if you have Nylander, uh, Marner, and Matthews all can shoot really well. So if they... if if uh, Matthews and Nylander... Nylander doesn't even need to work on his playmaking because it's so good. But mm-hmm. if if you've got... Nylander as like a 99 out of 100 passer and then Matthews upgrades his passing or looks to pass more they're gonna they're gonna be so hardly think of a triangle with those three offensive players yep. it's gonna be so difficult to defend against that yeah like Marlowe's one of I don't know where he ranks all time in goals but like he's in the top 40 or 50 or whatever it is his shot has diminished since obviously he's 38 years old but he's gonna be 39 but in his prime his shot was you could argue it was the best in the league like he just like very accurate and we've seen that in like the impact that he's made with 27 goals last year like he's a very very good shooter Mm -hmm. he finishes yes yeah he's strong he's he uses that weird stick but he gets a lot of power he's fast it's like a fast hard accurate shot yep which should be a good fit with matthews um, and Nylander. And Nylander. And I think that what you could do with that line is you play them against weaker competition. I think that that could potentially be the hammer that they throw at other teams when they're at home, where the cadre line takes tough competition, Tavares gets the next level competition, and then those guys just eat up the third and fourth lines. And that is the advantage of having John Tavares on your team. Or adding John Tavares to your team. I've seen some people arguing that the Leafs aren't going to take as big a step forward because they lost JVR and Bozak. And if you add up their contributions with... That line that had to be... You had two sense. lines that you had to protect all well, the time. Not only that, and but, Van Riemsdyk, as as good a goal scorer as he is, he's there's he's limited in kind of what he can do. Well, and a lot of it, those two, a lot of their value is on the power play. Does anyone think that the Leafs' power play is going to be poor this year? No. Although and, that's going to be really interesting to see what they do. And Andreas Janssen and Kasperi Kapanen are coming. It's not like the Leafs are going to have a void of, of skill. Unless they run into injuries. If the one thing I think looking at this this depth chart that you've got up in front of us, if they have let's say they have two or three forward injuries, they're gonna have some pretty weak players that are gonna have to come into the lineup. But then they can just play the shit out of the other guys. What if one of the guys that's hurt is one of those other guys, right? Like it would have to be a lot of guys. And like you and I both watched Trevor Moore with the Marlies last year and especially in the playoffs. He looks, and close. he looks like he's close. Carl Grundstrom, you wonder when he's gonna get a shot. Josh Juris has played in the NHL. They're not. They're still not organizationally that deep beyond the top three guys at center. Like one injury at center, and they're scrambling a little bit. So. Yeah, I th- I think they're going to bring someone in on a PTO or something at center. I would be very like I think like a Nick Shore or someone like that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, even like a Dominic Moore would make sense. 
Yeah, that ship is sailed. It's my not. Friend. It's not happening. But like they, they, they need. I think they need like a backup option at center. Agreed. All right. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? Um, we have to mention the two people. We we launched a Patreon account if people want to support the podcast. So wait, this before is, you go on, explain what a Patreon is for people don't Patreon know because is, I didn't know for a long time. Oh, you didn't. Know. Patreon, you can you can contribute to a a cause or a business that you want to support. This is 100% optional. We do not want to force this on anybody. Please do not go and give us money if you are a student or elderly or... You, you, like, this is 100% optional. And if you give us $1 for the year, we are very, very grateful. We do not... Um, what we would like to do is buy a little bit better equipment and be able to do the podcast more, be able to do it when Jonas is on the road. Um, but we don't want it to be entirely out of pocket. Our sponsorship agreement is quite small right now. Uh, we love it, but it's small. Um, if you want to support the podcast and help us make it bigger and be able to bring guests on and all those things, you can go to Patreon and do that. Two people have donated. Uh, I cannot read your writing. Adam Luker and Jason Jerry. Thank you for donating to our Patreon. As I said, 100% optional. Do not do it if you do not want to do it. If you already subscribed to The Athletic, we love you and you are contributing to us having jobs. So this is just... It's just another way for us to potentially be able to buy some more equipment. And we have a producer that helps us with the podcast who makes almost nothing. So we would like to be able to give him some money too. And I think you can do as small as you want. Like you can do like a dollar a month. You can do a dollar a month. And then you can cancel after a month and we will be like... Thanks. Thanks for a loony. Like honestly. So it's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash leaf report. And there are other podcasts you can support as well. You can support, uh, I think it's called Birds All Day, the the, Stoughton's. the Blue Jays podcast. So um, that's kind of where I got the idea from. They've had some success doing that. And it's really helped them build that podcast into something bigger than it was. His Jay stuff has been awesome. I don't know. In a lost season, like I've enjoyed reading his stuff. Anyway, live event, September 13, the Rivoli, Spadina, Queen and Spadina. It's actually, it's actually uh, east of Spadina. Just, just so people can find it. It's right near the horseshoe. Yes. Yeah, watch a little, yeah. Watch our live show and then go see some live music after. Yeah. Uh, you can meet Andrew Stoughton. You can meet Pierre Lebrun. You can that's meet, not at ours. You that's can, at the oh, Toronto I'm, one. Sorry. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's, that's, that's at the second that's best the, one. Yeah. Come to the live podcast and then come to the live event. Come to everything. Just, just quit your job. And, and you become a Leaf fan all the time. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. It'd be fun not to have. I remember when I was in college and like, yeah, you got to go to school and whatever. But like, and when it was the playoffs and I was in college and the classes would end at like two in the afternoon or whatever. And I was on the West Coast and I would just watch like three games a day. And, and then the game would end and I would like put on NHL whatever year that was, NHL 2000 or 1999 or whatever. And just, I don't know. You're not a football fan, but the best thing about being on the West Coast is when the games start at 10. So you basically just get up, have a coffee, and the games start. And it's awesome. And then the late game, like the, the 4 o'clock games are at 1, so like your day isn't completely taken up. Anyway, Leaf Report Podcast brought to you by Bob Sox, all that other stuff we've already <laughs> talked about. So thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. <laughs>